Welcome to our new series, Cherish, the Power of Fulfillment. You know, one of the biggest takeaways of the COVID-19 experience is the contrast it's offering. Um, we're seeing what things really matter to us the most. Now, the answer may not always be right, but it really has given us an opportunity to see what we value and discover what we're valuing. And the way that you may be discovering this self-awareness of what's most important to you may be a little odd, and I've been looking for indicators in my own personal life. Um, one of the things may be, what are you complaining about the most? You know, when you think about what you complain about, your expectations, you begin to discover what you value most out of life, what you want to work right, what um, maybe it's what you wish you had more of. You know, maybe that kind of explains a little bit about the run on toilet paper in the early part of this COVID-19. I don't know what people value, but you, maybe it's what you're wishing you had more of or what you were afraid to lose in the middle of this uh, crisis in our lives. Or here's another one, and I think this is a big one, is what you're willing to risk infection for or risk infecting other people for. I mean, if most of us would turn down certain opportunities, but if all of a sudden a buddy calls you and says, hey, I got uh, this boat, this guy wants to take us out deep sea fishing, it's gonna be just five of us. Yeah, you don't know three of the guys, but don't worry, they've all been doing good and it's, we're gonna be fine. And, and you find out, okay, I'm willing to take the risk of getting infected or infecting others for the sake of going deep sea fishing. But it's one of those things that you find out what you value. So we've been given an opportunity if we're willing to seize it. We need to remember what we're learning in this moment. And we need to remember it through reimagining, through rearranging and remanaging our future based upon the things that have floated to the top of our value system. I, you know, one of the things that I think is a beautiful illustration, I don't think anybody expected us to see this, was have you seen what has happened in the environment, the environmental changes that have occurred? Now, here's a really crazy one that I thought just blew my mind, that there are actually scientists who measure the seismic activity of the planet and how much, how much vibrations there are on the Earth's crust. Well, it turns out that since we haven't been going to work and doing a lot of driving around, that the earth is not vibrating as much as it used to because of the COVID-19. So it's brought about this environmental change. The pe uh, people of India have begun to see the Himalayas again for the first time in decades because the, the smog that has gone away. In Venice, water is cleared up and marine life is returned into the ports because the water's now clear in Venice, where we see a lot of big changes in, a, in China, where they're seeing blue skies, smog-free. And can you imagine the self-aware moment that a person would have when they all of a sudden see the blue skies and begin to say to themselves, I, I forgot about this. I forgot about looking up. I forgot about the color blue. Or they, they now have the perspective of visualizing how bad the stuff it was that they were breathing because now they've got this contrast of value. Um, they also get to see what kind of effect their activity is having on the world around them. We've actually measured that in the Northeast US that um, uh, smog and nitrogen dioxide pollution has been reduced by 30% over the last 
two weeks. So it kind of begs the question, um, will we cherish this moment or will we go back to what we call normal? Will we take this opportunity to evaluate and to see through the smog and finally see with clarity what matters the most? Because at a price, God has given every one of us an opportunity to see blue skies of life through the smog and the things that have been clouding us up. So in this series, we're gonna be talking about the power of cherishing. We're gonna bring cherishing back to what it looks like in a marriage. Because right now you may be looking through some smog. We're gonna see what cherishing can do in a family, in our beliefs and in our community. Because cherishing goes beyond the getting. It is the power of fulfillment that we're looking for. You know, in America, we're all about the acquisition. And we, we, get, we get these things, we, we get the bride, we get the husband, we get the job, we get the home, we get the house, we get the car, we get the opportunity, whatever it may be. And, and we value the getting. But what we don't do is value the moments after the getting and perpetuate those moments out in this concept and in this power of fulfillment known as cherishing. You know, I, I have discovered in my own life that it is filled with um, commerce and negotiations. Constantly, every single day, we are investing time and resources nonstop, and we're making negotiations about how we're going to spend our time and how we're gonna spend our money. We're trading opportunities for other ones. We've decided that we're not going to their house and we're going to their house. We've decided we're going to the uh, store instead of going to the gym. We're, ma we're making trades. We're risking some things for the sake of other things constantly in our lives. And it always comes down to this issue of what we value, of, of what we cherish in our lives. And you know, everything can't be the same value. We, maybe in a hoarding mentality, everything becomes the same value. But I think in this moment, we've been given an opportunity to see that everything can't have the same value. All people can't mean the same thing to me. Not all objects can mean the same thing to me. Not all beliefs or ethics that I have are always of the same values. Um, have you ever been around somebody who, uses the word awesome a lot. I mean, they'll just be like, oh, that's so awesome. And, um, or, or maybe they'll say, oh, that is the best, or you're the best. And you'll see them and you'll say, hey, man, dude, you're the best. Girl, you're the best, you're awesome. And, and I, I know a lot of times I've had friends that use the word awesome a lot. Or maybe they'll sign emails that you're awesome. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, do you sign all your emails that way? Um, it's like, yeah, it's like, well, but not everybody's awesome. I mean, so it can't all be the same value. It, it can't all be the best. You, you remember that scene, it's funny who gets this. And unfortunately, I'm beginning to realize that maybe I have more in common with this guy is Buddy the Elf in, in the Christmas movie. And there's that scene where he's walking down the street and he sees a sign and it says the world's best cup of coffee. Now, he believes that if you're going to use the word, the phrase, the best cup of coffee, that it really should be the best cup of coffee, this system of valuation. So I love it in that scene where he just walks in and he just looks at the people in the coffee shop and behind the counter and he's like, you did it. 
the world's best cup of coffee. Congratulations, everybody. And everybody's just looking at him like he's weird, but he's really not the weird one in it because you can't value everything the best. Um, and here's where you can really tell is because what you really value gets your heart. I mean, that's really what you value. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is that your value system and your heart will always be conjoined twins. They will always be locked together. Whether you're even aware of it or not, these things will always be connected together. So having an opportunity to find out what we value is, is really special because it, it really is letting us see what is conjoined with our hearts, what is with our purposes, with our meanings, and with our focus and our values of life. But one of the things we're also going to see in this series is that valuation is only part of the equation of cherishing something. Um, and, and I'm going to give you some other words that may seem a little bit weird to combine with the concept of cherishing, but we're going to see that they're really not that weird at all. Let me, let me give you this, these words, investment, nourishing, nurturing, defending, protecting, hiding, admiring, even warring. These are all words that can define the actions of cherishing in a person's life. And I love it because the word cherishing, it brings the best of action in the terms of what's masculine and what's feminine. You know, it's, it's, it's because whatever you can think best about a woman, uh, a mom, a wife, um, uh, whatever you can think best about a man, a husband, a father, and all the other things that men and women are, that when you use the word cherishing, you bring the best to bear in, in this one word. So Jesus gives us some really great visual stories to talk about the power of ch cherishing. And I, I want you to listen to this one parable that he gives out of Matthew 13, verse 44, where he's going to talk about the concept of cherishing. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Did you begin to hear the action words? These are all cherishing in motion words. These are, these are actions of cherishing. He found it, we're told. And so the first thing is that he, he finds this treasure and, he, and I don't know what he was looking for. I don't even know if he was looking for the treasure but it was discovered. So he was putting himself in a position of discovery. And that's always a good thing for us to do is to always be teachable. And that's one of our uh, components of our mission statement here at Crosstown about being learners, lovers, and leaders. We're always looking at learning. We're always looking at discovering. Now, COVID-19 might not have been what we were after, and it might not have what, been what we wanted but yet it seems to have moved us into a field of discovery, that we can discover the treasure that's most important for our lives. I, you know, I don't know what you were thinking you were gonna discover in 2020. It seems 
a long time ago that the new year went by and, it, and that we were so unaware of the field that we were walking through and what we would what we would trip on or the experiences that we would have had. And maybe you were just walking through the field, but your foot has, has hit something that has been buried in the ground. And that thing that has been buried in the ground is the perspective of value. That's why this is such a precious moment. This is why it's so important. That's why this parable is being used because it really does define um, how we go forward in our lives. We are told in the story that he found it, but, but then he covered it up immediately. He covers it up because he doesn't want anyone taking it away. He's protecting it in his life. And begin to think about the things that you wanted most. And maybe you went through the process of finding that thing. And that may have been a person, it may have been a relationship, it may have been a job, it may be in your relationship with God. But let me ask you, did you take the next step of cherishing and then cover it up with the idea of covering it up with protection. Does your spouse feel the cover up of, of protection from you, the, the cherishing? Do your children feel that? Are the thoughts of your life, the ethics of your life, do you cover those up? Do you protect your values as God has communicated them to you? But that is part of the cherishing process, is, is not only the finding of the treasure, the acquisition of the treasure, but also this idea of covering it up with protection. Further on in the story, we're told that he exchanges other things for that one thing. He goes and sells his other stuff and he buys the whole property to secure that treasure. Again, we're being shown that not all things are valuable. Not all things are equal. I was, I was talking to Ricky a little earlier and we were talking about kids and it kind of brought up a conversation. I remember I had just gotten years ago, I, I, I would say easily 25 years ago, that I had just brought home my new car and had it in the driveway and I was sitting in the driveway and it's a beautiful car. And I had the owner's manual in my hands and I'm going through it and looking at it and the doors open and, and Deanna is just about, I don't know, about three possibly. Um, and, and as I'm sitting there with my feet out on the, on the driveway with the door open, but still sitting in the car, I'm flipping through the book and, and all of a sudden I look back and I notice little Deanna, little baby Deanna has a rock in her hand and she's beginning to engrave or draw something in the back of my new car. And she's just writing it right into the paint. And, and I remember, that um, uh, as soon as I saw that, I yelled out, Deanna! And as a little child would, you know, she drops the rock and she looks at me because she doesn't even know that she's done anything wrong, but she's just startled by my thing. But I realized that in that moment that not all things were equal. And, and, and was important for that because if my car was as equal as the dignity of my child, then then it would have gone bad. It would have gone real bad. But I remember as, as when I yelled out and she looked at me, I'm like, are you drawing me a picture? And I remember going back there and her smile coming to her face and, and getting back and I was able to pull myself back in and it's like, oh, you were making daddy a picture on his new car? Oh, that is so pretty. Um, but maybe next time we can use crayons and, and that way daddy can take the picture inside or and something like that. Do you know to this day we still have that rock? 
Um, why? Because it was a moment when I discovered that not all things were equal and I had to exchange some things for the value of other things. And I had to discover that the value of my daughter and my relationship with her was much more important. And this man goes and he buys that field he, he, to secure that treasure. And then it says that uh, he buys the whole field. He doesn't just buy the treasure. Uh, he buys the whole field. He doesn't just buy this one little area around the treasure. And what I think that represents is he buys margin. He's creating barrier around it. Um, do you remember the story of Samson when Samson would, uh, when him and Delilah were kind of having a, a spat and she wanted to know the secret of his power. And he starts down this trail of telling her the power, how, you know, he has all, all the strength and, and he lies to her and then he, then he uh, and she gets angry. Then he tells her another thing and it's kind of close to what's true, but not really what's true. And, and she gets angry again. Then he tells her what's true. Now we're, now we're talking about the hair and, and, but he doesn't tell her everything. And then finally he gets to that place where he tells her exactly where her strength is strength comes from. If I cut my hair, that's, I lose them all power. See, what Samson was willing to compromise was the margin. The, the acreage uh, that would have protected him from compromise. Not even going past that secretary's desk. Not even getting involved in a text message conversation with that woman. Not even going to lunch with that individual. Whatever it may be. That the person who values something is willing to say, listen, I'm going to create space. I'm not only going to acquire this thing. I'm not only going to protect it by covering it. Um, I'm, I'm not only going to exchange things of lesser value for it, but I'm gonna create space so that uh, I can't compromise it away. And that's all part of cherishing. And did you notice the phrase that pops up in the middle of this? It says, in his joy, he goes and he sells everything. Um, I think that's really cool that it says, in his joy, because I have discovered in life that the right values make the heart sing. It doesn't say it just makes him happy. It says that in his joy, that fulfillment of his heart, that he goes and does all this power of cherishing. He begins to work out cherishing. And we need to realize that the power of cherishing can bring joy back to a marriage that maybe has lost it. The power of cherishing can restore relationship with children, with, with maybe our parents. Or it can begin to affect our relationship with God and with our community. And it's such a beautiful illustration of this story. And in the context of Jesus' story, the kingdom of God is not just the treasure. Remember, he starts it off, he said the kingdom of God is like, and it's not like the kingdom of God is like the treasure alone, but it's all the activity of the man in relationship to the treasure. So the treasure is part of it, but it's not all of it. You know, so the, the kingdom of God is not just getting saved. It's not just about whether or not you believe in the existence of God. It's not just belief. It's this whole process of cherishing. It's the walk of discovery that you may be in right now. It's the exchange of values that your, your old life values are being exchanged for the kingdom of God values. It's the safeguarding and the protecting of, of what God's word is in your life. It's the joy that comes through the 
power of the Holy Spirit as you're beginning to walk in fulfillment of things, not because you acquired them, but because you cherish them. And I think that's the big difference in people's lives about Christianity, is that a lot of people are getting saved and they're like, well, this isn't really all that much better because they thought it was something to be acquired alone. But when we begin to walk out what the real kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is all about acquisition, about the, it's about the discovery, it's about the walk, it's about the hitting your foot on the treasure, it's about protecting that treasure, it's about exchanging other things for that treasure, it's about you know, creating margins so nothing can steal or, or take it away or you can't compromise that treasure. It's the joy that's in the middle. That is a totally different picture. That's where fulfillment is. And you could take that exact same template and you could put it on the satisfaction quotient of marriage. And the people who are not experiencing the satisfaction of marriage that they thought that, that they would have when they, when, and I hate to use the phrase, got that girl or got that guy and the delight and the excitement of the acquisition. And then three years later, it's not like it was. And well, why isn't it like it was? It's because the power of cherishing was never engaged into that relationship. You never realized, you thought love would just last. You thought that just because you were so different than your parents said, oh, this is gonna be good because she's so pretty that her beauty was gonna keep you from your eyes wandering. No, your eyes being fixed on the bride of your, your youth is the result of you making the choice to cherish her. Likewise, honoring your husband and, and respecting him and, and bringing value to him is not just something that you do when uh, he deserves it, but rather it's that process of cherishing him and building him up and encouraging him. So cherishing is an incredible, powerful word, especially now, because we are getting an opportunity to see what really matters if we're paying attention. And cherishing is an action word that it's actually described to Jesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, when we're told that Jesus cherishes the church, that he cherishes his people. I mean, what do you think was working and engaged when Jesus reacts when the woman is caught in adultery by the Pharisees and they're about to stone her? I mean, why does he get riled up? I mean, I bet you never thought that riled up could be a word synonymous with cherishing or an action synonymous with cherishing. Um, it was Jesus cherishing when he turned over the tables in the temple. It wasn't just random anger, but rather it was the cherishing of the presence of God through prayer and knowing the presence of God in his life. It was cherishing that made him stop when the crowd was moving through and, and his ministry was going real fast and his popularity was growing. When he stopped in the middle of what was called the throng, a crowd of people, and he turns around for a woman in, the, in her 60s, somebody that would have been susceptible to the uh, COVID-19, and he stops and he says, I care about you. I cherish you and he brings healing into her life. It's when he feeds the 5,000. It's when he grabs Peter and, and has a conversation about, Peter, do you love me? And, and how he loves Peter and entrusts the church and the mission of Christianity to Peter after Peter denies him. It's that message that he sent through the women at his resurrection. He says, go back and tell Peter and the others that I'll meet them in Galilee. Why was that little thing inserted there about Peter? Because it was an expression of cherishing. 
It's Jesus getting up every day and spending some time alone, sending away the crowds that would have been the strength of his popularity, that, that pastors and preachers like myself would be all about the crowd surrounding him. But he sends the crowds away. Why? Because he cherished his alone time with his heavenly father, because that was part of his value structure. It's why Jesus didn't marry. It's why Jesus didn't buy a home. It's not because buying a home is wrong. It's not that getting married is wrong. We know that's not the case. But for the amount of time that Jesus was going to have and the mission that he wanted to accomplish, in the value system, and, and, and as he began to saw what he could accomplish, he decided that those things, though they were good, were not things that he was going to value in his personal life. So wouldn't you like blue skies back in your marriage? I mean, did we really think? I mean, a lot of us, we talk about global warming and all that, and I know if you're on just two different camps here, whether it's real or not, uh, whether you buy into it or if you're a tree hugger or not, and I happen to be a tree hugger, I think we did see that when valuation occurs, uh, significant change can happen right away. I mean, we can, we can see a difference. So let me ask you, um, wouldn't you like blue skies to return to your marriage? Because if it can happen over the skies of China, over the, the skyscrapers of LA and the waters of Venice, then it can happen in a marriage. Wouldn't you like blue skies to come back in your family, your relationship with God, with your community, to have color and brilliance and clarity restored in all these other areas? Sure, you can get a job. Sure, you can get a spouse. Sure, you can build a family. But let me ask you this, can you keep it? In America, we've proven we have the power of acquisition, but our statistics are showing us is that we don't have the ability to keep it. And if we do keep it, we don't have the power of fulfillment in it. It's not the delight that we were hoping or that it was designed by God to bring into our lives because it all comes down to what you cherish. You know, we are going to apply these action words and some of the other stories that Jesus tells about value to the things that God is leading us to discover about what to value and to see the power of fulfillment to move into those things. So as we go into this moment with God, as we call it expressions, it's a, it's a time where maybe you'll take communion at your house, uh, a time where you maybe join in this worship song, uh, maybe just be a time of prayer where you, you get up at this moment and you just go in another room. Um, but let me in, encourage you. Um, as we go into this time, I'm asking you to see, to go on the journey of discovery, to walk into the field and to begin to make a list of over the last two to three weeks, what is it that you value? And, and right now, don't go through the process of, well, that's not a good thing. No, I want you to put everything on that list because maybe right now the, the, the smog hasn't lifted and we don't have the clarity that we need in this particular moment. But let me ask you to, to make that list. And then over the next week, as we prepare ourselves throughout the week to, to, to come back together um, next Sunday, that ask God to help you hit your foot on the right treasure, to trip over the hidden value that's in the ground. Maybe you weren't looking for it three weeks ago, but so that you could discover what really matters in life again and 
and the value that God wants you to know. Ask God this question every single day this week. When you wake up in the morning, as, as you're, you're walking, as you're in your office, your home office, with your outside walking the dog, or maybe you're still driving into work, ask God this question. Where's my heart, God? And where do you want it to be? Like, help me discover where, where I am right now. What, what am I valuing? And is, am I valuing the right things? Is it where you want it to be? Because what I value and where my heart are are always conjoined twins that will never be separated. So the way to change our heart is to change what we value. And it's so important for us to discover what it is that we value. So we are in this critical moment. And over the next couple of weeks, um, we wanna ask God to help us. What field should I buy? What treasure should I be protecting? And begin to experience the true fulfillment as blue skies begin to return into our lives. Heavenly Father, as we go into this moment of worship, as we go into this time of walking through the field, we just ask that you will reveal to us what we value, and then through your Spirit, begin to speak to us about the things that should float to the top, the things that matter most.